How we doing? This is Rob Foster with RBF Fitness and Nutrition. People upgrade their iPhones, they upgrade their Androids, they upgrade their laptops, but yeah. they're operating with the same brain that they operated with for the last decade. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. You know why you do what you do. So racism, it's out there, but it doesn't have to stop you. Just because somebody might look at you a certain way, that doesn't have to stop your forward progress. Where well, you have to eliminate the excuses. You gotta make that game plan say, for me to get to that point. Right. Good morning, everyone. Here we are. Episode number 81 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, Robert B. Foster. So as you all know, we keep the show motivational, educational, entertaining, and transformational. So the reason why I started this a year ago, A, because they shut my gym down and I needed something else to do. So, and I wanted something that could not be taken away from me. And little did I know that this process was going to change everything for me. So meeting these different guests every single week, uh, well, four times a week now, because I this started out weekly, but meeting the different guests and hearing everyone's backstories and what they had to go through and I've had guests from the U.S., from Thailand, from Australia, from India, from the U.K., from Ireland. And we all want the same stuff. Like everybody wants to be happy. And almost everybody reaches a point to where they're like, you know what? I want better. I can do better. I can be better. And that's like, like pretty much the central theme of everyone that I bring on. And it's amazing because we all have the same end goal, but there might just be different paths getting there, which is great because in school, you know, we're all taught one way. So this here is showing you that there's many different ways to reach success. And so to have this conversation, I'm bringing on another speaker, another podcast host, and someone else that went through a tough beginning, went through a traumatic event. And he's using that as power to fuel his success. And again, that's the absolute essence of what this show is about. And so who is this young man? He is a husband and a father. He's an award-winning keynote speaker. He's a wilderness liaison. He's an author. He uses his PhD from the School of Hard Knocks to teach others how to learn and live past their mistakes. He's been featured in new, numerous media outlets and on podcasts, sharing his passion to improve the world one word at a time. So welcome to the show, Ari Gunsberg. Welcome, sir. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for taking the time out of your day to share with us. Absolutely. So. How did I do with the intro? Awesome. Totally good. awesome. Good, good, good. You're, like, you're like talking. I'm like, wait, is that me? <laughs> <laughs> I know. So many people say that. It's like, I think in my former life, I was a hype man. <laughs> so I was like, I just take people's info and it's just, you know, kind of spruce it up a little. So awesome. it just it just just makes for a good, good start to the show. Get that energy burst in there. Definitely. All right. So the one question I ask every single guest that comes on is, who is Ari? Uh, you know, 
internally, I like to think of myself as the man of many faces. And, and that's because, you know how like there are people out there who will look one particular way and they'll keep that look for like 10 years or their entire life sometimes. You know, like I have a friend, he's always got to go to, you know, he's always got a particular look and everything like that's his look. Yeah. Uh, for me in my life, it's basically never stay the same. You know, like people be like, whoa, what'd you do to your this? What'd you do to your this? What you do to this? It's like a constant thing. Even even now, when mostly I'm mostly like you know one particular look and everything. You know, like uh, like sometimes I'll just take the beard all the way down to almost nothing, and then I'll let it grow back out. I mean, but like, so you know, especially when I was younger, and and I would do like some crazy things, like I would grow my hair out, I would dye it, I would cut it all off, I would do this, uh, you know, all these different things and everything. Like I I always thought of myself as like the man of many faces. Um, and and that's that's both an external thing. And, and I also want to bring up the internal thing. You know, uh, we all are, but but I, I know that I think of myself as this. We all are people of many faces in the sense yeah. that we've got the face that we show to the world. We've got the face that we show to our family, the face that we show to our school, the face that we show to our job. You know, so we all are playing these various roles. And uh, some of us may have a wider, more diverse set of roles than others, but we're all sitting there and like kind of juggling this uh this this way of being you know so it's it's just it's just fascinating and that's you know who is Ari Gunsberg you know that's the first thing that popped in my head so that's what I'm rolling with <laughs> <laughs> love it yes yeah, like when I when I first started asking people th th this question I didn't let them know ahead of time and so many people struggled <laughs> to answer that question so so I was like you know because I like the show to be as raw and unprepared as possible but people were like tripping over that one so bad. So I was like, all right, I have to at least give them this this first question. So give them some I mean, time if, to put it together. If, if you look at like my media kit, you know, I've got like 10 questions. I'm like, these are questions, but I strongly recommend that you don't ask me these questions because yes. if you ask me these questions, you'll get the same interview that everybody else gets basically. And exactly. it's not gonna be any fun, it's not gonna be any raw moments, it's not gonna have any, any, you know, it'll be real because I'm, I'm bringing all myself to the table, but it's not yes. going to have that same level of, of uh, uh, authenticity that, yes. that, uh, that, that random questions will grab. And you're like, wait, oh, huh, never thought of that one. You're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. And when, again, when I first started this, I started doing that because, I mean, I didn't know what the rules were or if how to do it. So I was just doing what other people were doing. And I was out, as I'm going through, like, trying to, Fill fill in the hour with just stuff. Cause like once I've gone through all the talking points, and then it's like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm gonna start doing this my own way, and I just want to have a genuine, authentic conversation. And Definitely. then the people who watch the show or, or they they listen to it on the replay, you know, it's much more engaging when you're just hearing two people who are essentially strangers, and then you just have just a raw, authentic conversation. It just makes for a much better show. So I agree. As long as you find people who aren't shy. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, well, no, that's maybe. true. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. I can honestly say, out of eighty-one episodes, I only had one that I kind of had to drag through. Oh. <laughs> you know, you know. But other than that, I've been on a couple where the host was like that, and I was yeah. like, "Dude, how we how we host the show?" <laughs> like. I remember they asked me a question. I went off on probably about a good 10 minute. It was, it was almost sermon-like and gave so much info, so much energy. His response, far out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've I don't had, know. 
that? That's what you came up with? <laughs> I had an interview, at least one, maybe more, but I think I remember one pretty clearly where like, you know, they had like a million questions and they're like, come hell or high water, I'm gonna ask you every damn question on my list. Yeah. They didn't say that, but like that was the attitude. And I was just like, we're like an hour and a half into this thing. Can we stop now? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's like, boom, another one. No, I, but I still have questions. I was like, oh, okay, I guess we can do something. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I think if you ask the right questions, you can, you can get all the, like, you know, I went through your, your whole background and we're going to get through it all. But like I said, but I want to get through it all authentically. You know, rather awesome. than forced, you know. So I know you had that that trauma early on in your life before then. Right. So before then, what did you see yourself doing for like as a career choice? You know, as kids, we want to be doctors and lawyers. Like what was yours? Um, so interestingly enough, uh, back when I was like a little, little kid, um, I saw myself being a writer. Okay. Uh, which is interesting because I've 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 written a book, but I'm not actively writing at the moment, even though I'm like in the middle of a project. But I just it's just on hold for right now. But um, like I saw myself being a writer, and I don't know like exactly what happened, but you know, meaning meaning like I'll, I'll give you the the scenario, right? Like I'm five, six, seven years old. Uh, I'm pulling up the old Word Perfect on my dad's computer, right? Like oh, where yeah. it's like the blue screen and like the white letters or whatever, right? <laughs> And I was sitting there typing stuff out and I wrote books like when I was that age, I don't know what happened to them. I don't know where they are, but like, I, I have re re memories of like, you know, laying out the words on a few different pages and then like, you know, drawing <laughs> illustrations and stuff. And I, and I have others, I, I do have access to, to other things, you know, like writing's been always, almost always a very big thing, but uh, you know, throughout my, Oh, I guess it was, you know, so I, like, it was like, there was, there's been times of like, okay, I'm going to be a writer. And then other times where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be. And then I will. And then I won't. Um, the biggest, the biggest, the most, the hardest part of it is, is, um, is break. It's, it's, it's a really tough business to break into, you know? And, and it's not like, I'm like the type of person who's like, I'm a writer. I love being a writer and you give me any writing project and I'm going to love to do it. You know, uh, there's there's these projects that I get sometimes to do writing, right? Like, you know, to do writing for somebody. Yes. And, you know, my wife is like, well, what time were you up until? I was like, yeah, oh, very late. She's like, well, you know, why? I was like, well, I was working on this writing project. She's like, it took you that long? I'm like, no, it took me like 20 minutes. She's like, so why are you up so late? I was like, it took me like two hours to sit down and actually do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um you know, but but writing, I, I would say that the, the constant, even though it's a little bit of an up and down, the constant has always been writing, you know, uh, you know, I enjoy it. And, and you know, uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about it later, so I'll just pop it in right now. I did just recently publish The Little Book of Greatness, uh, and which is pretty cool that, it, first of all, it's gotten very good. It's It's been received very, very well by people and by, uh, by uh, critics. And also, it is. It was just announced like a few weeks ago that it's a finalist in the Forward Indies uh, Book Award. So nice. I'm hoping oh, I win that one. <laughs> that's awesome. Good luck to you. And, you. and and of course, we were gonna get there, but it's okay. <laughs> I was talking about the writing, so I was like, you yeah. know, I, I gotta show some chops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. All right. So so now, because typically I spend a lot of time on the backstory, but. You know your tra trauma happened in your backstory, so yeah. So like, take me, take me through what happened. Um, which part? 
just uh, from when you were on that that trip. All right, so sure. So so it's actually interesting. We're coming up on the anniversary of it. Um, okay. Let's see. Friday is the is the I, I guess you could call it like a minor holiday that that people celebrate. So it was four days after that. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. This coming up Tuesday is the anniversary of it. Uh, you know, we're, we're recording on April what twenty seventh or something, twenty eighth. So um, you know, we we. The, the minor holiday that I mentioned that's on this Friday is, is a holiday that typically people, you know, they'll go outdoors, they'll go on a hike, they'll go play baseball, they'll have a barbecue, and, and also often they'll have a bonfire as well. Uh, in, in a school setting, people aren't going to have a bonfire, obviously, because they're doing it during the day. So there, you know, if you have a barbecue and a baseball game or a barbecue, baseball game, hike, something like that, you're doing really, really well. Uh, so we all got together. You know, we, we came in that day. Like, it, it got postponed. There was bad weather. Um, the, a day or two beforehand, our teacher came in late and he's like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm late guys. I have to go to the doctor. The doctor gave me a physical. He gave me a clean bill of health. I'm good. So now it's that day and we're going out on this field trip. Uh, you know, so we, we, we all jump into a van. It's back in the nineties. So, you know, we crammed like 18 kids into like a 12 or a 15 passenger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 17 kids and one rabbi and, you know, there's no chaperone cause you know, why do you need it? It's just a small class. Mm. So we, we drove to this local park in Baltimore and started playing baseball and we may have had a barbecue or we may have been planning on having a barbecue. That part is a little fuzzy in my memory okay. that happened a, a long time ago. Um, and you know, after he's like, let's go hiking. So, cause he loved nature and, and it was a big, big part of his life to share his love of nature with the kids around him, whether that was his students, whether that was his children or whoever, you know, like he was constantly taking them out of nature and showing them, you know, he, he, showing them, you know, here's God's hand in the world with this. And here's God's hand in the world with this. And do you see how this works? And, um, so we started, we started going on this hike and, and, you know, we were all clustered around him and asking fire, you know, rapid fire questions from 10 year olds. And, and, you know, because that's, that's what it is. You know, you put 17 kids out into the woods with somebody who's willing to talk to them and it's just like, you know, but, <laughs> but that type of stuff comes to an end in the sense that after a while, you know, 10 years old, we're like, okay, is it okay if we go ahead? Is it okay if we lag behind a little bit? So we started spreading out on the trail a little bit. Um, and so I was with a bunch of kids and we were like ahead and like playing in this stream, you know, just waiting for them to catch up. And some kids came and popped up behind us in, you know, like on this like hill, like looking, going down towards the stream. And they started screaming out at us, you know, guys, you got to come, you got to come quick. Like Rebbe's, Rebbe's what we call our, our rabbi, but, you know, Rebbe's hurt, Rebbe's hurt. It basically just means like my rabbi. Um, and so we're like, our immediate reaction was like, get out of here. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no way that that actually, that you're like telling the truth. You know, we're fourth graders. We're, you know, for sure you're, uh, you're lying, you're pulling our leg, you're, you're joking with us. But as they continue to talk about it and as they continue to push and scream and yell and like, come, we're like, all right, this is not a drill. This is not a joke. This is time to go back. So we all turned around, we ran back up and, you know, imagine the scene, you know, it's, it's the woods, it's, it's, springtime there's leaves on the ground there's you know leaves on the there's green leaves on the trees new leaves but like not, maybe not so many of them and our, our rabbi is just like laying there prone you know beard white shirt black pants nothing wow 
you know, and the kids are standing around and like one kid is completely, we're, we're all, I mean, we're all freaking out, but one kid is completely verbally and physically freaking out. And he's like sitting there and screaming at the top of his lungs. He's like, get up. What's wrong with you? Stop joking around. What are you doing? He's like screaming at the top of his lungs. And it's just like, you know, what's, what's, what's going on? What do we do? Um, so, you know, there's this realization of like, we're in way over our heads. We have to go do something. And so, um, so, you know, we decided to go for help. I and three kids went, you know, we was like, all right, we're going to go for help. And then seven other kids are like, we're going to go for help. You guys are going the wrong way. No, you guys are going the wrong way. No, you guys are going the wrong way. Um, so we split up, you know, so there's seven kids back behind with the, rabbi, with the rabbi. There's three of us heading back to something and there's seven heading back to something else. And we're like running around and trying to figure out where how do we get out of here right and and it's also it's a hot baltimore day right so yeah. people who don't know about mid-atlantic summers um there's like you know not summer and there's summer right like there's not really much of a shoulder season in the sense that like when it gets hot it's hot yeah it's the you same know, up here yeah yeah uh, where are you at i'm in rhode island okay yeah so not as humid though right oh no it's humid Okay, it gets humid there. Yes, I mean yeah. Baltimore's like massively humid, not as bad as Florida, but like massively humid, massively hot. So it's like yes. it's like a hot, sticky, humid day, and we're like, I don't know, maybe it was the heat that was the problem. So we're like running and then stopping and then running and then stopping, and um, we're like still trying. You know, try, I, I'm, it's a good thing I had the other two kids with me because I had no idea where I was. You know, um, it's an interesting thing. Like in caving, if you're going in a cave, you're supposed to all the time turn around and look at what it looks like behind you. Because what something looks like in one direction has no bearing on what it looks like in the other direction. True. If you catch a particular landmark, maybe that you'll be okay. But like, like it just you know, if you do a one eighty, like it's just a completely different look than if you you know you're facing the other direction. Anyways, these guys were like pretty good, and like we're we're all figuring out how to get out of there, and we're still not quite sure. And then like we heard this like weird thing off in the distance we're like what what is that it was like music or something we're like is that like a carnival like is there a carnival like in this park like i don't know like maybe there's a random carnival in the park maybe we'll just but but the main thing that we were focused on was whatever the music is there for if there's music there's people yeah and so we followed the music um and you know in, in speeches of mine i've actually used the audio of like some people playing bagpipes because that's what it was is there was this this random guy standing there on the edge of the woods in a kilt and everything playing the bagpipes so i've used wow. bagpipe sound to sit there and like bring people into that moment a little bit because like you know we're just, we're like all right like if you're standing on the edge of the woods playing bagpipes i don't know you know it's it's um you know, something I've always wondered is, you know, maybe maybe God sat there and like had this guy just get this like thought in the morning, like I need to go and play the bagpipes outdoors in my kilt today at this place. <laughs> so that's true. where I'm gonna practice. You know, I don't know if he did it every single day or not. You know, but that's 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 where he was. And so we, yeah. we like come flying out of the woods. You know, a few ten year olds, there's no adults around or anything. We see this guy in the bagpipes. We're like, yeah, okay, no. <laughs> no I, I don't know maybe we would have this is the before the day of cell phones so it's not like you can go up to any random person and say do you have a cell phone let me call 911 mm -hmm. right there there are no cell phones so like you need somebody who can actually potentially help so we did see some buildings in the distance which uh you know i i believe were outward bound buildings like i've been back to the park and there's an outward bound facility on the on the grounds and i'm pretty sure it was outward bound people i'm now actually an alumnus of outward bound as well as 
if it was outward bound, these the two guys who came to help us would have been woofers, wilderness first responders. I'm also a wilderness first responder at this point as well. Um, so we, you know, we charge into this place. We like start telling what's going on, and they're like, uh, just take us back there. And so they, they two of them, they grabbed the med pack. Um, after a tiny bit of discussion, one of the kids stayed behind at the building. You know, so if the other kids come out, he sits there and says, "Stay put." They already went for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the two of us went back in with these two guys. Uh, we lead them back to the scene. And again, right, so now there's seven kids mulling around. Everybody's completely shell-shocked, completely falling apart. And there he is, he's like lying on the ground. And, you know, one of the medics runs over immediately, starts doing CPR, and the other one's like, all right, guys, come on, time to get out of here. And he starts gathering all of us together uh, to leave. And... Um, you know, so he led us out of the woods. And, you know, I've told people in the past that, like, it's an amazing thing that he, this guy went to go do CPR. And, you know, because in that type of protocol, like, if somebody was a wilderness first responder, the second you, if you decide that protocol, that CPR is not required, you don't have to do CPR in the sense that, like, if somebody died not from something that CPR will help with, right? If they bled out of their legs, CPR is not going to do anything. Um, you know, there's various reasons. But once somebody, starts doing CPR, they're committed until they've done it for 30 minutes or until they're so physically exhausted they cannot do it anymore. Yep. Which is, it's hard work. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever taken the CPR class, but- Oh yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) In our class, one of the things, if I remember correctly, one of the things he made us do is do CPR on one of the dummies for 10 minutes straight. Because he wants us to realize like, if, you know, if if it calls for it, of course do it. But just realize what you're getting yourself into to sit there and say, oh, I'm going to do CPR, even though it doesn't really call for it. Like, just to, he's like, just realize what you're getting yourself into. You know, like yeah. it's it's hard, hard, hard work. Um, but anyway, so the other guy pulled us out of the, you know, took us out of the woods. Um, they called, they got in touch with the school, you know, the, the, and, and, you know, the school, the few people from the school came over, our teacher from the last year, the principal. And, you know, they stood off to the side discussing what to do and not telling us anything, which... I'm not saying I blame them. It's 17, 10 year olds. What yeah. do you what do you tell them? Um, uh, but you know, after after a while, like they wouldn't, they they just wouldn't tell us anything. After a while, they they the our teacher from the year before, whose van it was, brings us all back to the van, throws you know, and just he, he wouldn't say a word, wouldn't engage in conversation, wouldn't nothing. Mm. He's like, where do you live? He took us home. Where do you live? Took us home. Where do you live? And he just slowly, one by one, dropped every single kid off at their house. Uh, which is also like just weird because usually they would go back to the school and people would pick up with the carpool and everything and just straight home. Yeah. Um, my dad later on in the day came home and he's like, you know, what's going on? You know, because it's a it's a weird situation. And so he called the school to find out what happened. And it was that's like another like surreal moment that's just like imprinted forever in my head. You know, he's like on the phone and everything and talking to him. He's like, yeah, it's you know, Dr. Guns, but I'm trying to find out the whole thing today. Whatever. Oh. I see, you know, just like, boom, like just everything falling. And, um, you know, he like looks up at me after he hangs up the phone and he's like, he's gone. And, um, you know, uh, you know, we were just standing there in the middle of, in the middle of like the kitchen or the foyer of the house that we were living in at the time. And just, I mean, I was just bawling for like a long time. And, and he knew him also. So like he was, you know, also crying and stuff. It was just like, it, it just, you know, I've described it as a ton of bricks, as like a wave crashing over, as, you know, 
Um, it's like literally an entire world just like turning upside down, like in split second. Um, it's giving me chills. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm falling apart right now, you know, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I guess like maybe we should have known that something was up and maybe some kids did and, and, and like it, at my age now, like, you know, I, I sit there and I start reading between the lines. Like, you know, if something's going on, I, I try to, because people don't necessarily tell you everything that's going on, but you want to yeah. hopefully know because maybe, you know, you can help. Maybe you can't. Maybe you're just worried. You know, there's a lot of different reasons. And so you have to sometimes just read between the lines, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I guess at 10 years old, it's just really, really hard to do that. Uh, you know, if somebody's prone and laying down on the ground and they're not moving and you're back, whatever, 20, 30 minutes later and they're still not moving, you know, um, either either they took one of those things that makes people feel almost like they're in a dead state, which is not really the case, or they're gone. Wow. Um, I, wonder, I wonder if that's why if that's why they decided to do CPR, the kind of almost like a like a distraction to get the kids out of there. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. And and I mean, this was a long time ago. So the protocol may be yeah. that they didn't have to do 30 minutes and it could be that he, you know, saw what was going on. I mean, um, it also could be that, you know, we told him that he collapsed and, and, you know, when he shows up, it could be, I mean, it was a warm day. So it could be that he still felt warm and he had, didn't have a pulse. Mm. Uh, but he was like, well, maybe he collapsed with a pulse and only lost the pulse now, so it's, I should do it. it. It could be, um, it could be, I mean, I think they said later that he, that he was gone before he hit the ground, but I mean, it could be that he, you know, they didn't share this with us. It was like a hearsay type thing that we heard that. So it could be that he felt a light pulse or something or thought he, I, you know, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it could be, it could have just been a distraction thing, you know. I mean, uh, my, my warfare teacher told us a story of a, um, of, a, of a trip where they went out and like there was a massive, massive storm, like an unprecedented storm and, and a tree fell over and it, and it fell on one of the tents. Um, and, you know, the kids were like clamoring around to one of the people to go do something for the adult who was in the tent. And he's just like, there's nothing I can like, like they're like, do CPR, do something. And he's like, like literally there's nothing I can do. Like there's, a tree on him like i can't cpr is not gonna do anything yeah you know it's just not it's just not called for so you can see that this story still visibly shakes you so what was it like in the days and weeks right right afterwards like how long did it, did it take for you to get, to get back into a i don't want to say a good headspace or did you at all um so I mean I, I I have a little bit of a suspicion that I have like a un, un, uh, ongoing like PTSD or something from it like mm. throughout my entire life probably. Yeah. Um, you know, in in the days and weeks afterwards, you know, my parents did like little things to try and distract me. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what else you would do with a ten year old who who suffered massive massive loss like that. Yeah. Um, I have a tremendous amount of appreciation and gratitude to the people who. Uh, stepped up to the plate then you know my uh, it's actually now he's my friend's father-in-law you know um, and he's my friend's father-in-law and my wife's friend's sister's father-in-law 
you know, we, we keep it close here. <laughs> um, no, so, so, so like this man, you know, he was a substitute teacher, you know, I don't, he didn't teach or anything, but like all of a sudden there's this class and he's a teacher for the next three months. And he's like, okay, you know, and he took, he took over the class and he did the best that he could, you know, but, um, you know, so I still have a tremendous amount of appreciation to him for doing that. And every once in a while I see him and I mention it and I tell him, I'm like, you know, you should just know, and you know, um, it wasn't easy, you know, um, and then and then there were a lot of trials and tribulations that happened afterwards that made it even more difficult. Um, you know, for whatever reason, the school gave us a brand new teacher for Hebrew studies the next year and the next year, a brand new teacher as well. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. And then and then, uh, you know, they mixed the classes up, you know, because a lot of times they would have like these two classes and the same set of kids would go up every single grade. Okay. Um, going into seventh grade, they mixed the classes up a little bit, but it may have still been dominantly this class, but they put us with, I mean, we had all sorts of troubles with our English studies teacher, and uh, it, I mean, it got bad. It got really, really bad, and I'm not really sure. I, I Like, I don't know what the thought process was to, like, sit there and put us into these situations over and over and over again when we're already damaged goods. Yeah. Um, you know, but this, I mean, this, just to give you an example, this one English teacher, uh, you know, I brought up with one of the kids from back then. I was like, mentioned to him, I was like, yeah, so by the way, you know, seventh grade. And he's like, I blocked that entire part of my life out. I'm not talking about it. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Wow. Wow. All right. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, I ended up not finishing seventh grade because I got, they, they suspended me for, you know, they, they came up with a stupid plan. They're like, if you, get kicked out of class three times, you're suspended for a week. Okay. But we were getting kicked out of class all the time, right? The, there was a massive, massive teacher problem. Like I had asked them, I had, I had gone up, I had, I had taken the bull by the horns and gone up to the principal and said, please put me into a different class. I cannot be in this class, right? A 13 year, 12, 13 year old kid sitting there and saying that and everything, right? But they're like, yeah. no. And um, so I got kicked out right before my bar mitzvah, which is so messed up. I can't even tell you, you know, like here it is like, uh, right, you know, um, it's my it's my rite of passage and everything going into the holiday where I'm turning 13. No, you're suspe you're suspended. Oh wow. Um, but um, so he so 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 after that holiday, right Passover after that holiday, I was like not going back. And it was a massive fight with my parents. Uh, you know, 20 years later, they're like, we're sorry, we should have backed you up on that, but. But I mean, it was it was just it was just a crazy crazy time, and then and then, um, so so they expelled me, by the way. Wow. <laughs> but wait, yeah, you have to realize, right? They didn't like they, you know I didn't do anything. Like they were just like, if you're not back by this and this date, we're expelling you. And I was like, but but I left because you guys suck, and they're like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but so so it was just just crazy stuff, you know, and then and then. It followed me into my teenage years a little bit because from that school I went to the other school, which thankfully they took me in, even though I had this like you know bad rap sheet and stuff. Mm. Um, and then just you know high school just didn't really work out for a myriad of reasons and stuff. And then and then you know so throughout my high school years, you know people ask me where I went to high school, and I'm like, you know uh, I, I mentioned the pizza shop that I spent my high school years in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. All right. Yeah, I was going to say you had you had mentioned a, a series of poor poor decisions. 
So take me take me through some of those. Uh, any decision that landed me in places I really didn't want to be, but had no choice but to be there. You know, um, <laughs> now, now, in truth, like that does somewhat uh, include like, you know, houses where I went over and like, you know, was hanging out, but like couldn't really leave because of, you know, it was awkward or I was with people and I was waiting for them. But like, really, for the most part, what I'm talking about is like, you know, jail and stuff like that. Um, you know, going from like high school and then all of a sudden like not being in high school and then, and then, uh, you know, ending up partying all the time and hanging out with kids who are doing a lot of drugs and, and then doing them myself and, and stuff like that. I mean, there are probably a lot of different ways to argue that I shouldn't be here today. Mm. Um, you know, I've done a lot of stupid things, allegedly, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, when, you know, when you're a kid, you know, you believe you're invincible and, and, um, in retrospect, it turns out that for the most part, not that I was, but I was, you know, like, like meaning you have those stories where people like sit there and get behind the wheel of a car drunk and they don't make it out of it. And then you ask people who are like, well, I did make it out of it, you know, so uh, we yes. never know. Um, but I mean, I mean, it's, it's a real blessing that like I'm able to stay in here today and like, and like talk about this because there, there's many, many times when, when probably I shouldn't have been able to walk away. I mean, uh, but, but I mean, you know, so we, we make these poor decisions and, and I like to tell people that a lot of times, like we make these poor decisions that are a series of bad decisions. Not always, you know, sometimes we're just in crappy situations, I think. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times it's, um, it's like a series of decisions that we make that, that, that end up leading us into these really, really bad places. Um, you know, and, and, and so I've, Unfortunately, I've landed in jail a few times and stuff and, uh, um, you know, spent like a day or two or whatever there. And, you know, my, my granddad was a real hard ass. You know, if you want to if you want to picture my granddad, think of like Red Foreman from this from that 70s show. Oh, yeah. But like times 10, you know, like he even looked like him a little bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but like he was like a real hard ass, you know, like like my mom would be like a hard ass sometimes. It's her dad. She would be a hard ass to me sometimes be like, you know, well, I guess you're just SOL. I'm like, uh, and she's like, my dad used to say it to me all the time. You know what that means? I'm like, no. <laughs> she's like, you're out of luck. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm talking like when I was younger and stuff. But anyway, yeah. so like, you know, there were times when, when you know, I think my parents, you know, my parents probably had a whole discussion or my mom did with her sisters, you know, should I get him out? Should I not? And and based off what he did to my cousin, I'm assuming he probably told her like, hell no, let him rot. Of the <laughs> <You know? laughs> not like, not like let him rot in there, but like, you know, let him, I guess, stew in there for a little bit until something goes on. So, yeah. Um, actually, to be fair, thinking about it, I don't know if I ever called them. Uh, one time I came out and they just dropped me off because, you know, another time was re I got out on my own reconnaissance, which basically just means they say, okay, we believe you'll come back to court so you can go. Yeah. And then the one time that there was a bail, um, I, 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 because of what happened to my cousin, I didn't call my parents. I called I called, uh, you know, a member of the community, my boss at the time, and I was like, can you help me? Because I knew that he would, you know, so he got in touch with my brother and he said, you know, like, I'll cover the money, but you go do it, you know, so it was, um, uh, but yeah, you know, I was afraid of them doing that to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know like, yeah, you just stay in there, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be in here, you know, <laughs> um, 
but I mean, there's there's certainly other things that we've done that I've done that uh, that that have been bad decisions that you know led into into bad into negative places, but that didn't necessarily involve jail. I mean, you know, but it's it's interesting, you know. There was this one thing that stands out like a lot. Like I was up in New York at the time, and I ended up at this at this guy's house, and it was like, I don't even know what the deal was. It was it was like a messed up situation. Yeah. Like the, like we, everybody was like smoking pot or something. Maybe there was like a little bit of harder stuff going on, and and like the the home situation was just messed up. I'll bet you there was like some mental just uh, mental mental illness going on over there as well. But like we're all like sitting outside, and his mom came outside to like yell at him, and he just starts yelling at his mom, and they're like wailing at each other. We're all sitting there like, oh. wow. <laughs> and and it was like, it was like a weird thing because in my head I started tripping, being like, whoa, like what kind of like this is this is just where I'm at, you know, like. Because, but then but then I had this. Sorry, let me articulate that a little bit better. I, in my head, I started being like, this is where I am, and like it it just became my reality. And I was like, whoa, like, how did I just end up in this place? Mm. But then I had this realization of this is not my reality. I might be here in this in this box right this second, right? But I don't know the kid. I don't know his mom. I don't know this. I don't, you know, like, I don't, I don't know any of the situ- any parts of the situation. And I can remove myself from the situation as simply as just walking away. Now, I didn't walk away because I was with friends and I was waiting for them to go. But, like, if I needed to and if I wanted to. Like they weren't yelling at me. I didn't. I was nothing. I was nothing to do with it, yeah. right? So I could just pick up and I could walk away. And 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 I think a lot of times, um, I think a lot of times in our lives, we we internalize the stuff that's happening around us, and we turn it into our own situation. And and you know, just just really like sit there on it and part of it, and like it it becomes this massive problem for us and and all these other things when it doesn't necessarily have to be. And, and, you know, that, that attitude of this is not my reality. It's not always the case, right? Sometimes it is your reality and, and, you know, it's harder or possible for you to pull yourself out of it. But there are many, many, many times where we're trying to put stuff onto us. We're trying to internalize reality inside of ourselves. That's not our responsibility and not doesn't have to be. And so if we can sit there and remove ourselves from the situation, mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever, we can potentially adjust much, 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 much better. Um, go ahead. So so was it that was it that way of thinking that helped you turn the corner? No, oh no. Oh. <laughs> He's like, that's no, that not was, it. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was this was actually probably before the first time that I ended up getting locked up. So oh, okay. not quite. <laughs> All right, no, well, I, I had a ways to go before I turned around, you know. Mm. Um, actually, well, like, like what, what was the moment where you were like, I can't do this anymore? So there, everybody looks for that one moment, you know. That's, mm. that's you know, people ask, you know, because there was religious stuff mixed in with it as well. Yes. So people ask, you're like, you know, what – because they want to hear, like, you know, if they're religious, they want to hear, like, you know, okay, let me hear your story so I can turn around and be like, yeah, I'll bring that into my own life and, like, re, mm. you know, engage, reconnect with God and, like, all this other stuff. Or non not from a religious perspective, they might be like, you know, let me hear your story so I can, like, but but what I tend to notice is that there's there's not always that big aha moment that happens um in people and and so if we're if we're only looking for that aha moment if we're only looking for that massive realization it's hard to sit there and and, and make and take change and make create change from that 
because yeah. a lot of us won't get that. But um, what, well, what well up- let me let me let me clarify. So, because uh, I get what you're saying, but like it doesn't always have to be like some major shift, right? But but there's there's usually a moment where people are like this can't be anymore. Yes. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in um, so for me, uh, I ended up moving in with uh, a group of Israelis. Right now, Israeli culture and American culture, there are similarities, similarities, but they're not the same. And uh, it was it was just very interesting. Like I, I felt like that year that I lived by them was a, a great moment of change for myself and a great learning experience for myself. And that I that internally, personally, I did a tremendous amount of healing that year because there I had all this. I mean, I still had baggage when I left, but I had a lot of baggage that like I couldn't get over. And then by moving in there with them and watching their 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 different cultural norms and and being like, well, it's okay to do this here because culturally it's okay for them. And then like I, I got more adjusted to it. Also, you know, it was it was very very helpful for me. Um, and then you know I, I I I don't know I started to get a little bit older and and you know you make small changes and small adjustments and and um, you know. As those go along, like you know, you you just uh, you know you, you start to make things a little bit better and, and a little bit better and a little bit better, and then and then this is one of the things that I talk about also is uh, you don't just you don't just like make this massive change overnight. It's it's like a it's like a process, yeah. And so that's that's kind of what happened. I, I would say that the starting point was probably really with the with the uh, with the in the house with the Israelis and stuff. Now. Um, it was also helpful that they were all like 10, 12 years older than I was. And so they treated me like a little baby brother. Mm, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I actually had an Israeli immigrant on the show. I think it was 40, 40 shows ago today, actually. Wow. Yeah, I had him on and he was going over life in Israel and he, had, he joined the Israeli army and he came here with, with a thousand bucks. And he's now the CEO of Restoration 911. Wow. Is a multi-million dollar franchise and he's like what i was able he's like i don't understand why people bash this country he's like what what we were able to do here it's like i could have never done in israel right, right. So <laughs> israel israel while one of the u.s's strongest allies is also a socialist country yeah with very very high taxes and i don't i don't understand the politics there i don't understand the taxes there i don't say but like the, the main thing to realize is that like for every dollar earned in America, your people are getting taxed between let's say 25 to 50% or less if they make even less. And for every dollar in Israel that somebody earns are being taxed like 60 or so, 60% or more or something. Wow. And uh, you know, so like it's, you know, you go, you work for a thousand dollar paycheck and you get three, 400 bucks back, you know, but yeah. I mean, you know, there's trade-offs, you know, they have, they have government healthcare, they have the, yeah. whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing or anything. I'm just, just a recognition that, that, uh, there is certainly a lot of aspects to the U.S. that, that makes it very, very easy to start a business and, and much more business-friendly environment. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, so the, the, I mean that that would be part of the catalyst. Another part of the catalyst for myself, just to, I just want to touch base on this for like briefly, is that when I was 15 uh, and I was working in this pizza shop, uh, you know, I wanted to learn how to drive. So one of the guys there was like, "I'll let you." drive my car if you want like you'll learn how to drive like i'll give you your hours for your permit mm. but 
I'm going to do it when I'm on my way to an NA or an AA meeting or on my way back from an NA or an AA meeting. So just if you want, you can come. So basically, I ended up in like 12-step meetings when I was 15 years old <laughs> with, <laughs> with no reason to be there at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I often credit that probably with saving my life because had I not been in those rooms at such a young age and hearing the stories that I was hearing at such a young age and, and seeing w just what some of those, the, the really, really bad drugs are bad, right? Yeah. All drugs are bad. And then, you know, whether or not you want to put marijuana into that classification with it being legalized now, I'm not even like, let's not even deal with that. Let's put that off into its own category that we can always have a discussion on later. But like in general, <laughs> drugs are bad, right? Yes. So, but there are drugs that like, if you talk to people who know, because most people should just put them all into one giant box, drugs are bad, don't do them, keep away, fine. But if you talk to people who have dibbled and dabbled or whatever, recreational or you know, people from my experience, there's drugs are bad. And then there's these other drugs that are super bad that like people take them once or twice. They're addicted for life. They never get off it. They have to go to, you know, clinics. They have to go to this. They have to get treatment. I mean, it's just like never ending nightmare. Right. Yeah. So there's like drugs are bad. And then like drugs are like super, 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 super bad. Don't ever touch them. And and if not for these hours and days that I had spent in these meetings and in these situations, I think I would have just had this, you know, drugs are bad. But, you know, you're around people who are doing them so they don't seem as bad. So it's okay. And instead I walked into my teenage years where I started doing the really, really, really bad stuff with the two different boxes of drugs are bad, but you know, in my current situation, I'm going to do them anyways or whatever. And then drugs are super bad. Don't even touch them. And, and so, so, you know, it's, it's probably pretty like, I mean, you know, I, I have kids that I grew up with who are no longer with us because of ODs and heroin. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I was visiting Israel and a, and a guy, like I, I spoke to this guy on the bus one night and by like the next day or the day after he was dead because he OD'd on uh, heroin and everything. You know, like there are, and, and, and that these are not unique stories. Like this is happening all over the place. So like, because I had had that opportunity when I was like 15 to sit there and put these things into these two different boxes, even though at there were times when people were using those like big bads, you know, and 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 I was not for me, you know, and uh, that could be the reason why I'm alive. Today. That's another. That's another reason why I'm alive. Today. <laughs> wow. All right. So, how did you get into doing what you're doing now? Great question. Um, I was working in a couple of different fields. I was absolutely miserable, and I was looking for something else to do. Um, and so, you know, I started working through it with a business coach and, uh, eventually I don't remember exactly how, but it came up. Um, I, I like to think of the main catalyst being this moment. So, uh, this, this girl that I knew in Cleveland, she was working at the juvenile detention center down like with the, with the, um, with this, with the county. And so she had like a pot of boys that she was the the uh, the mental health counselor for. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what they call it. And so she reached out to a bunch of people and she's, you know, her network. And she said, you know, I, I'm, we're doing career week. We want to have some people come in and tell these guys about what they're doing for their career. So that these guys start to realize that there's careers other than police officer, drug dealer, teacher and, uh, you know, prison guard. <laughs> <laughs> so who can come in and just, you know, just tell us a little bit about what you do. And so, um, so at first I was like, you know, because I remember I told you I was in jail before. Yeah. 
Yes. I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm going back. Not happening. I'm not <laughs> doing it. Um, but then, but then, you know, so I told her, I was like, I can't do it. Uh, you know, I, but I started to get this like guilt in my head. I was like, out of all the people in our network that I know that she just asked, right. I'm like one of the people that actually can relate to these kids at least a little bit, you know, meaning I don't have, I'm not serving a six month stint, but like, I've been there. Like I've gotten locked up. I've sat there in the back of the paddy wagon, you know, being like, Oh, not again. You know, like, like I've gone through those moments. So like I can actually connect to these kids and like in a way that maybe deeper than what these other guys can do. And so I guilted myself into turning around and saying, you know, I think I should do this. So I emailed her and she said, yeah, we're already full. I said, yes. <laughs> like dodge the bullet <laughs> um and then a few hours later she's like somebody just canceled we have an opening i said all right let's do it you know um so i i went down there and uh you know i i was like preparing and i wrote everything up because you know you have to you want to like run through all your story because even though it's your story you have to like what's what are the pertinent details what do i leave out and so i i wrote everything up and and you know it's like 30 minutes before i'm supposed to be there an hour before i'm supposed to be there and i'm like I'm about to walk in there and tell them my story. Who the hell says that they care? Mm. I started getting really scared and really nervous and uh, really doubting myself. And uh, you know, so on my way downtown to drive over there, I you know I, I cranked up like Les Brown, like with some of his speeches and everything. And I was like sitting there, and I was like trying to pump myself up, but I still was like, I don't know, like who says that they that they're going to even care at all. And so I decided that when I walk in there, I'm going to ask them. I'm going to say, "Listen, I'm, I came in here. I can I can just talk about my career and talk about all this other stuff. Or if you want, I can tell you my story. Like I've been through a lot of different things that that you know you guys may be able to relate to. I can tell you my story and then do the the career stuff, or I can just tell you the career stuff. Whatever you guys want. By a show of hands, who would like to hear the career the, the my story? Boom! Almost the entire room sits there and raises their hands, and I'm like, "All right." And so I sat there and I and I. It was probably like the first time that I had really kind of told my story in uh, probably in forever. <laughs> um, and then we went from there into this, you know, this exercise that I had prepared for for career for for the for about marketing and everything. And I told them about that stuff and everything. And it was just immensely rewarding, you know. Like they 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 reacted well. They enjoyed it. They they had fun. They they sat there and they sent messages through my friend um, about what they had experienced and everything. So it was just it was just super super cool. So, uh, so, you know, as I'm working with my business coach, I, you know, it, I don't remember exactly which was when, but I was like, yeah, I think this is maybe something I want to go do. Um, and I've been working at it ever since and trying to make a, trying to make a real go of it. Uh, you know, I've, as you know, COVID completely and totally decimated, <laughs> decimated uh, most of the in-person events for a long time. I mean, so, you know, I, yep. I did take the time to write my first, to write my first uh, self-help book uh, and like you know like we said before you know it's it's gotten some accolades um, you know we're, we're making do you know we're, we're doing the best we can that's that's the best that any of us can do really in this time yeah I, I want to double down on something that that you said because a lot of people struggle with this and I had said yesterday I just did a live stream yesterday talking about the power of telling your story because we all we all deal with that. Like when I first started this, this podcast, even though I've been a speaker, I've been a leader, you know, I've had to give meetings for the last three decades. But if you always ask yourself that question, like, are people going to listen to me? You know, I'm like, you got, you got Joe Rogan out there and you got Shannon Sharps, you know, you got all these big name celebrities that have these podcasts. It's like, who the hell's going to listen to me? 
but then you, you'll find out there's seven billion people in this world. Like you just need a handful that like what you do. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's not about trying to get something on Joe Rogan's level. You know, like I don't. I don't have to do that. I just have to find my crew that love what I have to say and that will share with, with what I have to say. But, and I'm sure you, you, you made this realization too. Like wait, when you ask who wants to just hear me talk or who wants to hear my story, it's like one thing I found going from being a speaker to a storyteller is a completely different ball game. And a Les Brown disciple, Eric Thomas, I was actually trained in his speaker boot camp, and that was where I made the shit. Because I could get up in front of anyone and just talk about about a topic, but I was just talking about a topic, you know. So like they taught me how to tell my story, but make it relevant to the people listening. It's like that's where the true power is, and I'm sure you felt that that day when when you saw that they wanted to, to hear your story, and and you probably roped them in with your story and they're going to remember that forever. I hope. Yeah. Um, in a good way, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Cause I had something similar. I spoke at a career day down in Narragansett and same thing. Like you see these people from like insurance companies and, you know, this police officer is there, this fireman, everybody has their, their big, uh, what do you call them? Like the, the papers there, whatever you call them on the tripod and slides and all this stuff. And I walked in with nothing. And so, like, they were asking me, you know, do you need a PowerPoint? Do you need a this? Like, do you need markers? I'm like, all I need is my voice and their ears. Like, that's it. And four years in a row, I got voted for the best presenter there. And and it's because I made it about the kids. Like, I didn't make it about me. So even though I was telling my story, but I was telling it in a way that's going to inspire them. So do you absolutely. take yeah? So do you take that same same approach? Whenever possible, yeah, absolutely. Um, people people relate to stories like it. You know, I, I think there's a study or something. I, I can't. I'm, I I wish that I could tell you where it's from, um, but a study that like looks at what parts of the brain fire depending on what. So if you sit there and you get up and you tell people something like you know, there's two parts of the brain that fire. Mm. If you Tell somebody something with a visual aid. Maybe there's three parts of the brain that fire. If you tell somebody a story, like the whole brain sitting there and just firing away, yeah, you know. So when you, whenever you're able to to use story to bring out what you're saying, uh, you know, we're we're hardwired to relate to stories. Yeah, it's actually one of the reasons that that when I put together my book, I wrote it as a story. I mean, I love learning, and I love finding out new things, but. It's really hard for me to read nonfiction books, except for Malcolm Gladwell, because his books just read super easy. Yeah. But like, but like almost any other book, like I, I pick it up and it's like I know that there's so much good information in this book, but it's so hard to read, you know, because it's like fact, figure, fact, study, yeah. figure, figure, study, figure. But but when somebody sits there and writes it as a story, you start reading it and you're like page, page, page. You finish it, you're like, okay, I, I have. A very good idea of what he was talking about but i don't feel like i just sat there and like you know oh man another <laughs> another yeah. one of these books you know it's almost like watching a movie because mentally you insert yourself into it right you know like like if you're watching a scary movie like oh what would i do in that that situation it's like, oh i wouldn't look in that closet <laughs> you know so so it's not <laughs> not like you're just watching it it's like you put yourself in it and that like when i tell people 
like I donated a kidney to my sister back in 2011. And so when I first started telling that story, I was just kind of going over the facts. And then once I, I went to that speaker boot camp, you know, where he, he told me, he's like, he's like, you're a very good speaker. You're a very polished speaker. He's like, but you're also one of my most frustrating students. I was like, Oh, like, okay, I'm listening. But he said, just because it was too polished, he's like, you, you have to insert the emotion. He's like, you know, when your sister called you, what was your initial thoughts? Like, what was the sound in her voice? Was her voice trembling? You know, like when you told your wife that your, your sister's kidneys are failing, what was her initial reaction? Did you tell your children, you know, what time of year was it? What were you doing? I was like, oh, okay. So like, I don't know, I had to be all that deep. And then I gave a speech with the New England Donor Donor um, Association at, at a local uh, corporate place here, of course, prior to COVID. And so I told the story in a different way. And I started with Christmas 2009. And I paused because at that moment, everybody went there. <laughs> Where was I Christmas 2009? You know, like imagine the kids are playing with their toys. You know, you got you got the smell of dinner on the stove. You know, it, fire, it starts firing up all the senses. I was like, and then the phone rings. It's my sister, and then so on and so forth. But so it's like I broke it down that way, and there, there wasn't a dr- well. I took them through all the emotions because they were saying, you know, if you can make people laugh, if you can make them feel sad, like you gave me chills earlier, we've laughed. You know, I mean, like if you can make people feel all the emotions, then like you're gonna you're gonna move them. Absolutely. You have to something that I've noticed um for myself and uh, you know you may have noticed as well is is being up on stage and not that you're being up on stage but like speaking right let's let's put it like that because honestly like when there's a stage i try to get off of it (laughs) 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 not because i don't want to be up there but because it's more personal you're like i don't really want a barrier you know it's a big room you stand on the stage but i don't want a barrier like i don't want that yeah. the lector in the podium i don't i don't want that i want to i want to be able to connect you know yes, but the, something that i found is that speaking to people it's it's almost you know like a cross between acting performing and and being like a reed in the wind in the sense that you, you there might be sometimes when you're not feeling what you're what you need to portray so you have to act it out you're performing because if you get up there and you just talk and you don't get into every single word that you're saying, you're not going to have that deep connection with people. You're not going to be able to sit there and like, you know, wow, that crowd or anything. Yeah. And, and it's a little bit of being a reed in the wind because when, when you get up to that moment in your story that you're telling and you're supposed to be sad, you need to be as sad as damn possible. So you need to sit there and like blow with that, wind over to being sad and everything and then when you when you're sitting there and you need to be like ecstatic 30 seconds later because you're condensing six months into just this tiny little piece for them yeah right you need to sit there and blow with that gust and sit there and be like all right now i'm like super duper happy even though a second ago i was about to cry yeah so so it's it's it um you need to be ready, willing, and able to sit there and jump into fully 100% every single thing that you need to go through. Um, because, you know, if, if, if you're faking it, faking it, people can tell, you know, oh, yeah. and, um, you know, so you have to be like, you know, but like jumping into these different spaces, like so quick and everything. 
it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like you can tell because people will start using all their filler words. I mean, we all we all have them. Like, I know I say so and like a lot. <laughs> you know, so then you get people who like, um, or right, right, right. You feel me? You feel me? You know, so like there's, there's a lot of different different filler words. I'm, I'm, but, I'm sensing a Toastmaster over here. <laughs> <laughs> For real. All right. So what, mo- I mean, we're towards the end here, but what motivated you to, to write your book? Um, so I, I came up with this concept, the five keys to greatness, and I would like to share it with people and tell people about it and, you know, have people know about it. Uh, I can reach a lot more people with a book than I can with, you know, individual speeches. Uh, you know, I mean, you could reach a lot of people with speeches also, but, you know, a book is transportable. It also, I don't, I don't, my speech is not the same as a book. I'm telling over the same information in the sense that I'm telling over the five keys to greatness, but the book is a new way of looking at it with different information inside of it. So it's also a way for people to like come to a speech, hear me talk, and then go pick up the book, read it. And now they have this, like a, just a little bit deeper of an understanding of the five keys to greatness. Um, and so, so you know, I, I came up with the five keys to greatness. I came up with the with the method that I wanted to tell it over in a book. And then it was just a matter of sitting down and doing the writing. And uh, I was able to do that last year, last spring and summer and stuff. And so I published it at the end of the summer last year. Nice. Have you have you considered segmenting it? Cause like, I'm, yeah, because I'm in the process of writing a book myself. But like, I had a guest on a while ago that had a book, and they said they were working on writing, you know, a few other ones. And I said, I don't think you've you've maximized this current one. And they're like, what do you mean? You know, like it was geared towards empowering youth. I said, there's a lot of different demographics that empower youth, you know? So I said, said you can have one geared towards social workers, one geared towards coaches, one geared towards teachers, you know? So like around the same concepts, but just, you know, put it towards a particular niche. My, my take on that, is that if you can do that and come up with a wildly different book, definitely to go do it. Yeah. Um, if you can't, if you're basically just taking the same book and republishing it, that's a valid strategy that a lot of people use, but not one that I necessarily want to go down. Um, because, it, you know, it depends on the situation, you know, like the, yeah. there is the religious Jewish community, I don't think would be as in love with this book as a lot of people are like I so I, I want to like tweak it for that but that's like a yeah that's that's a different I think a different situation but um but like also I mean like I have a bunch of different things that I want to get out there so like if I sit there and try and turn this into seven different books <laughs> uh it could be, you know I, I might be like stuck on this one book for a long time when I have other things that I want to like really develop gotcha. but but I mean it's it is a tactic that people use you know I mean but but then mm-hmm. but then if you're a consumer right and you pick up the second book right you pick up the first one you're like this is amazing and then you find out that there's one specifically for coaches so you're like I'm a coach I need that and you pick it up and you start reading it and you start going through it and it's a lot of the same information mm. That's not a great feeling inside to sit there and say, oh, I just spent my money on another book thinking it was going to be different. And it's the same thing. Gotcha. Uh, if you have like a caveat that sits there and says, like, don't buy multiple of my books, only buy the one that suits you. OK, yeah, I hear that. But that's a lot of work to sit there. It's, it takes a lot to yeah. publish a book, you know, a lot of steps. So what I would say separately is to maybe sit there and put in like at the end, you know, a different section for each thing again. Right. Yeah. It's a valid tactic to sell more books. So if you're interested in selling more books, by all means. But but you know, like for I mean for this one, right? I could have put a whole bunch of extra information in there, but I wanted to keep it as short as possible. 
Yeah. How many um, pages is it? it? I mean, it's it's 200 pages. It's about 200 pages, but okay. it's it's font size 12. So if I made it a smaller font size, like what you usually get with a book, it would be like 60. I mean, it, it's it's about a three to four hour read, give or take. Oh, okay. You know, it's 45,000 words. It's a short, it's a short-ish book that, you know, uh, I've known people to read it in an afternoon. So, mm. you know, that, that was the goal is that it's, is that it's not long enough that somebody's gonna be like, oh man, I'm like only halfway through this thing, you know, like, <laughs> like, uh, like I've read um, Atlas Shrugged before, which is a phenomenal book, except for where she sits here and uh, does these like massive 20 page speeches. Yeah. Um, because they're just, they're, they get very propaganda-ish for whatever, whatever. I'm not gonna go into that, but, yeah. but it's, it's over a thousand pages, this book. And it's wow. a phenomenal story. It's a phenomenal book. But like, you know, when you're 600 pages into a book and you're like only halfway done, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's a little overwhelming, especially in, t- in today's age where we want everything fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Makes sense. All right, and um, is that that book? Is the link to that on your website? It is, or you can go to littlebookofgreatness.com. Okay, um, and I actually have on my website and definitely on littlebookofgreatness.com a link that you can download the first two chapters for free. You don't have to worry about buying the book to see if you like it. If you read the first two chapters, you want to know what keeps on going, what, what happens right afterwards, no problem. If you don't and you didn't enjoy it and it's not for you, don't worry about it. Go ahead and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try and connect another way. I like that. You're, you're the first one that has said that because I've had probably two-thirds of my guests have, have written some type of book too. Yeah. Yeah, and you're the first one that, that said that. Well, if you don't like it, don't worry, don't read it. Where, where you can you can da- download the oh, first, download first, the first two, two chapters, chapters. see if okay. you like it. Yeah, cool. I, I like you that. know, uh, I, I had a podcast interview with somebody one time where he sat there and said, like, the one thing I really don't like is when people say that my solution will work for everybody. Like, my yeah. solution is the best solution and everything. And so that's mm. that's one of the things that I tried to take into account when I wrote this is that instead of sitting there saying this is a proven system that will work and you just have to do it every single way, every single time the same way, and you have to do it this way, I developed it more as a framework. As a, you know, So you've got the five keys, you just, whatever key you're feeling weak on, you can sit there and put a little more effort into and just bump up that key. And so like, you know, so if, if, you're, if you're good on this side, but not good on this side, you just work on bumping these parts up. And then if you start to get weaker on this side, you bump these up and you do it however you want literally however you want it's just it's just a simple to remember five keys you just you just know what those five keys are and you just reevaluate every once in a while and say hey is this working or is this not that's it yeah and uh, i i agree with that when people are like you know finally the, the system that will you know xyz whatever the claim is and 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 you know like i said earlier there's so many people on this earth and but so we good. all we all process things differently you know, yep. we like we have, we all have different motivators, different things that that inspire us, like our different whys. You know, so it's like your one way might work for your personality type. You know, for someone else who's a different personality type, your way might be the worst possible the worst. way. <laughs> so you know, like my like with my, my clients, I mean, the name of my show is Shut Up and Grind. So you can you can tell it's pretty it's pretty no nonsense. Like I'm wor- working Absolutely. with a working with a young man at one o'clock. And when, when I did my consultation with him, I said, listen, I said, if you need to be spoon fed, I'm not the guy. Like, just so you're aware. I was like, this is your objective. This is my game plan to get you there. I said, it, it can be flexible. I said, but, you know, the framework is what it is. <laughs> so, you know, you have to decide if I'm the right one for you. 
you know, so like I like to be upfront, even with my my fitness clients, I tell them right up front in the initial consultation. I was like, if you give me a goal, I'm going to push you to that goal. I said, yeah. it, it said, like, if you don't like that type of accountability, then you got to go somewhere where they're gentler. <laughs> <laughs> so I you know, got to let them know right up front. <laughs> so I agree. All right. So give us some final words. Uh, keep working it. You know, uh, just just remember that that. It, it, it will it, it will get better you know it's it's you know just we're in the middle of this massive massive crisis across the world and everything and it's it's very difficult and I, I think that the true extent of what is going to happen and and how bad it it will get may not really be fully clear for quite some time you know like they always you know like, what do they say about like historians and everything right they write it 20 30 years later because you can't tell what's going on in the middle of the in the middle of the moment, um, but you know, I mean, already like a lot of places are starting to open up, and they're starting to see things get better, and they're starting to see, you know, so there's like all these different things that are that are that are happening and everything, and, and just I don't know, do you know, just do the just do the best you can, is uh, and 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 stick with it as long as you can, and uh, you know, there, there's always a solution. So if you're if you're in the middle of a moment and you don't see the solution right away. Give it some time. Take a walk. Relax. Get away from the problem for a little bit, and and perhaps the solution will start to work its way up to the forefront of your mind. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Whenever I get stuck, I go for a walk. Put it, put on headphones, and I just go for a walk. I'm just like, all right, I need to step away for a second. Because people think those of us that do this stuff, like we're just perfect and stuff just, <laughs> just happens for Far us. Far from it. Far from it. <laughs> and people forget, like we're just as human as everyone else. <laughs> you know? So, so I love it. So, um, don't don't sign off yet. But thank you very much for joining. Appreciate you taking the time. And I uh, think think I'm gonna I'm gonna invite invite you to come on again, so we can get get deeper deeper into the, you know, the how to step step into your greatness. So, like obviously, people know that. You know, I focus on on the backstory up to to what you're doing now, but I think just with both of our backgrounds that we could do an entire entire episode just on, you know, helping people bridge that gap from where they are to where they want to be. So if you're interested, you know, we can we can schedule that up. Definitely reach out. Like let's we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Thank you very much for joining. Like I said, thank you very much for having me. Yep. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right, so that was Ari. So if you joined in late and if you didn't catch the brunt of his backstory, make sure you you go back and you listen because we all go through something at some point. Every one of us does. So those of you that that have been watching us for a while, you've heard my backstory over and over. And just because you're there, you may be there now, doesn't mean you have to stay there. It doesn't mean you have to be ashamed of what you've done or what you've been through or what you put somebody else through. Because, again, we, we are all imperfect, every single one of us. So you can either take those experiences, keep them inside and live with regret and guilt or you can put those experiences out there and find people that that are just hanging on by a thread. But you getting through can help someone else get through. Saying that's when you make this about more than just you, right? You have that power. So the power is in your story. And that's how you step into your greatness is once you realize that your mess is exactly the message that somebody else needs to hear at this moment. 
So I'm going to leave you with those words. So signing off on episode number 81. And I am back on Friday with Sonia for episode 82. Have yourselves a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at robert underscore B underscore foster. On Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.